This morning's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 32. Please follow along in your own Bibles or as the text is presented on the screens above. I will be reading from the New International Version today. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds can come and perch in its branches. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is JD, and I'm one of the pastors here at Pine Lake Covenant Church. And uh, you've been seeing a lot of me this morning. <laughs> well, I get the opportunity to share the word with you this morning. Um, it is something that I absolutely love to do. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of a sermon series where we've been going through the book of Matthew, specifically chapter 13. And we've been looking at the kingdom of God. The series is called The Kingdom Seven Parables of Jesus on the Kingdom of God. And uh, before we jump right in, I think I want to mention one quick thing. Uh, Pastor Sharon mentioned earlier that we're in the middle of this thing called Simple Seven, which is basically seven weeks of celebration of rest. It's a time for us to enjoy summer, enjoy each other. We have one service. We're together in this space. We've kept the, the, the lights low today to kind of create a romantic atmosphere. Um, <laughs> So it could be a, no, it's hot. It's really, really hot. And we don't want to make it any more like warmer than it has to be. And so that's why the lights are low. Uh, we're into the third week of this Simple 7 thing. One other thing that we should mention is Pastor Mark Meredith is alive. Okay? He is on sabbatical. Uh, and if, for those of you who are new, you're like, who's that guy? He's our lead pastor. Um, he's on sabbatical for seven weeks as well, enjoying celebration of rest. And so um, pray for him, keep him in your prayers. We haven't heard anything, so we're, we're, we're thinking no news is good news. Um, Patty's over there, so that's his wife. If you want to ask her, I guess you could. But, but I, I think things are good, right, Patty, so far? He's good. Great, great. All right. So, uh, you know, on uh, December 15th, 2016, 12, 15, 16, my life changed forever. Our daughter Elise was born. Um, and, I, and I had been married for 10 years at that point, And I kind of thought I understood what, what the change of life was going to be like. And I really underestimated what that was going to be. Uh, and, you know, the whole plan, I mean, Sarah and I read all these books and we had this whole birth plan. And, and if you know us, we're kind of both planners and I'm a type A kind of a person. And so we had imagined multiple times what it was going to look like. And it was, it did not turn out at all like anything we expected. Uh, we had an unplanned C-section and uh, it was just kind of a crazy experience. Sarah had never really been to hospitals before. And so for her to go into major surgery was kind of a big, big deal. But I remember, I remember the moment when Elise came out, right, um, and I got to hold her. I remember hearing her cry, um, and I remember us, like, getting all settled. I, I brought her over to Sarah, you know, and held her and all of that, but, but there's still so much busyness. Then there was a space where uh, we were in our own room, and I got to kind of, it was just the three of us. And the first thing I said to Elise, the first thing I ever really kind of said to her in that moment was I said to her these words. I said, the world is a beautiful place. That's what I said. The world is a beautiful place. Now, I sincerely, absolutely believe that. Uh, and part of my duty as a parent, I feel like, is to um, show Elise that the world is a beautiful place. And so one of the ways that I've done that in the last year and a half is to watch clips of America's Got Talent with her. Okay? Now, I know. You're like, are you serious? J.D., really? A.G.T.? 
Yes, I'm very, very serious, okay? Uh, we don't listen to, like, childhood songs and stuff, really, in our house. Like, I just feel like it's my responsibility to say, hey, look at these people. They're incredibly talented. Look at these image bearers and their gifts. And so Elise, she, I think she's on Simon Cow level by now, okay? She knows what is good and what isn't, and she prefers certain quality of videos, okay? And there's one video recently that she has absolutely loved. Um, it's a clip of this kid named Jeffrey Lee. He's going to introduce himself in a second, and so I won't share too much about him. But this is one of uh, my favorite clips that we watch together multiple times a day. So I share it with you. Let's watch it together now. My name is Jeffrey Lee. I'm 13 years old, and I come from Toronto, Canada. Okay. You'll be singing class today? Yes. And have you ever sang in front of so many people before? Wow. No. There's a lot of people. Huh? Yeah, it's a lot of people. They make you nervous at all, or? Yeah. You're making so me more you, nervous. What would you do with a million dollars? I'm the only child, so I would love a companion. Um, I guess, I guess a dog? He wants a dog. Tell me the song you've chosen and why you've chosen it. Um, I'm going to be singing Raise Me Up by Josh Groban. Yeah, and why this song? And I'm singing this song because um, it really helped me um, when I was sad and when I'm lonely. Because you haven't got a dog. Yeah. If you do well, I'm going to buy you a dog. Thank you. And we'll choose one together. Okay. Let's do this one for the doggy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. I love that clip. I love Jeffrey Lee. Okay, now I love it for several reasons, okay? And the first reason is because he's a small Asian boy. I resonate with that, right? This small Asian boy has become a small Asian man. And I'm like, yes, you sing on America's Got Talent, right? It reminds me of myself when I was a kid. I actually love Simon's initial read and the whole dialogue they have, right? Here's this kid, right? What, what? this nine-year-old kid, he's kind of cute. He wants a dog, of all things. And Simon kind of doesn't take him seriously. You know, he kind of says, really, is that what you really want? And he kind of jokingly says, well, you know, if you do well, I'll buy you a dog. Now, the funny thing is, we didn't show the judges' comments, but in the judges' comments, uh, all the judges are like, I think you're going to get a dog. He gets four yeses, so he goes to the next level, and Simon actually says, you're going to get a dog. We're going to pick one together. And so that is pending to happen in like the next few weeks. Um, But yeah, and I love the third part. I love that Jeffrey just kills it, right? And he blows them all away. You see this small person, or seeming small person have this huge voice and you feel something that goes beyond just his size or his ethnicity or culture or just that moment. There's something profound that happens there. And I love all that. I love all that. Now, I think it's easy to judge Simon in the beginning, right? To be like, come on, man, really? You know, AGT, he's he's made that stage. He's been through some auditions. Uh, Why would you expect anything less from someone like that? But I think it's easy to judge him um, but I think it's actually something that's very um, revelatory about our, our humanity. And it's, it's this. We judge things that are small, and we don't expect very much from them. It's natural. It's something that's instinctive in us, right? When we make, uh, sociologists will tell you, research people will tell you, when we see someone, one of the very first things you do is you size them up. I size them up, right? I look at their eyes, And I make an instant read on what they're capable of and not capable of. I talk about their worth and value. We talk about that. And so it's easy to judge Simon, but the truth is we judge things that are small and we don't expect very much from them. Now, I think that this smallness is seen and expressed in many, many different ways. The first obvious one we talked about was size, right? We look at people who are small or children who are young or maybe even age, people who are older, and we say, I don't think I expect very much from that person in my instant read of them. Or maybe we look at their personality because they're more of an introvert and they're not a charismatic leader, right? And so in my instant read, I say, they're small. I don't expect very much. Or perhaps they have some kind of a disability of some sort. I know that's hard to say, but it's human nature. People are judged all the time for what they can and can't do. And I'm not saying all of us, but some people, when they see people with disabilities, say, I don't expect very much. Sometimes it's a race thing, Right? When we talk about race and power dynamics, we look at people and we say, there's a smallness there that makes me say, I don't expect very much. Sometimes it's a cultural thing. That person is struggling to get their words out because English is their second language. We don't expect them to be intelligent, even if they're holding PhDs from other countries. This smallness is something that is expressed in many, many different ways. Sometimes it's a financial smallness. The poor, what can we expect from them? They're barely contributing to society. Those immigrants, they're crossing here and just mooching off our tax dollars. What do we expect from them except smallness? Sometimes it's the size of a group. Oh, that group's been going there for 20 years and there's seven of them. They are 20 years strong. They're not 200, they're not 2,000, just 20. Sometimes it's the attendance at an event or it's the acts we do, right? Instead of having small... uh, Uh, gifts of appreciation, we expect big, lavish ones, 
right? There used to be a time where um, just the thought was enough. You remember that? Now it's like you almost have to out-gift yourself, right? If you give something to your kid one year, it's like the next year you're like, how am I going to out-gift myself? And then you end up in this relentless chase where something that is small, a small act of kindness is not seen as very much. See, we don't give much value to things that are small. We dismiss them, we diminish them, we don't give them attention, we look down on them, and we surely don't expect very much from them. And our vision, if we can be a little real and honest this morning, is horribly unbalanced. We don't see with the proper uh, eyesight that God desires for us to see. But Jesus comes onto the scene and he flips our perspective upside down. He not only challenges our misguided ways of thinking, he gives us a whole new paradigm of sight, of seeing things that are small for what they really are worth. In Jesus' words today in the passage that you heard, he's teaching a parable. Now, we've already established that a parable is basically a story used to illustrate a lesson. And this is what he says. Okay, hear these words again. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven. So not this earth, right? Not us, not our culture, not our natural intendants, but the kingdom of heaven. In that place, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It's tiny, really, 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 really small, which a man took and planted, and though it's the smallest of all seeds, when it grows, it becomes a large tree in which birds can nest and find their place of belonging. This is a very, very, very familiar parable. All right, I'm not going to stay too long. I'm going to go quick, all right, because it's hot. (laughs) We all want to get through this. But there's first a couple of interesting things to get out of the way, all right? Uh, Brace yourself for this, because for some of you, it might be shocking. The mustard seed is actually not the smallest seed in the world. It's not. So Jesus says, mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds. Well, it's not, though. So what do you think? Do you think Jesus was just wrong? Or maybe he forgot and became human for a second? Or maybe, um, you know, he had to touch seeds to realize? What do you, I mean, there's a lot of different things. Is the Bible wrong? Is that an error? One could say that is an error, at least scientifically speaking, right? Now, I don't want you to get um, too bent out of shape about this, all right? According to an article in Discover Magazine, the smallest seeds in the world actually come from tropical orchids. And they weigh just 10 billionths of an ounce. All right? They're almost like dust. You can barely see them. All right? um, and so the mustard seed isn't the smallest seed in the world. All right, so what is Jesus doing? Uh, that phrase, the mustard seed, was um, used proverbially in Jesus' time to refer to small things. And so he's using a phrase that was used in their everyday vernacular, their culture, to teach a spiritual truth. And that mustard seed was actually the smallest seeds that was used commonly uh, during his time in Palestine. So, for you who are like, ah, theologically you've ruined me, it's really not that bad, okay? (laughs) It's still a very, very, very small seed. And the lesson here is that in the kingdom, things that are small have the power and potential to become very, very big, This is what Jesus is trying to teach. He's trying to get these people to see and us to see that in the kingdom, 
things that are small have the power and potential to become very, very big. The mustard seed is tiny, right? Yet it has the power and potential to become a tree that is eight to 10 feet tall, so much so that birds can live within it. Now, this teaching shocked the people who were there, but it really shouldn't have because there are so many examples in scripture where God takes something small and it becomes very, very big. Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, God takes two people. He chooses them, creates them, and he says, I want you to cultivate all life and culture in this world. Noah, right, when the world is turned from God and he's going to start all over after the flood, he chooses one righteous man and eight individuals to restart the human race. If you go a bit further, right, you hear about this guy named Abram who had a wife named Sarai. When God gave a promise to Abram, he said, you and your wife, which will now be called Abraham and Sarah, which means the mother and father of nations. And from those two people came the Israelites, came the inheritance of faith that we now live into. We could talk about Moses, who was a fugitive. He murdered someone and he was on the run. And after tending sheep for 40 years, he felt like he wasn't ready for public office. He said, I can't speak. Yet God chooses him to be his voice to Pharaoh and to the nation of Egypt. And he becomes one who helps bring them out of that place of suffering and slavery into the promised land. Or how about David, the ruddy young man, right, with a handsome face, scripture says, who became a giant killer and later one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. When the prophet came to Solomon's house and asked for his sons, the family forgot where David was. That's how small and non-existent he was, but not in the eyes of God, see. In the eyes of God, things that are small have the potential of becoming very, very big. Now, you might say, J.D., that's the Old Testament. We're living in New Testament days. Okay, well, how about Jesus? A little tiny baby, the Son of God, wrapped in human flesh, crying, Pooping, peeing, fussing, parents not sleeping. That baby was a refugee to Egypt. Came back. That baby lived in a town that, that, that wasn't very good. What good can come out of a place like that? Yet the Son of God, the hope of salvation, came from that smallness. We could talk about Jesus and how he chooses 12 disciples, just 12 people. Would it be amazing if, uh, if some startup, I mean, I don't know if this happens, but imagine if someone said, uh, hey, you know, I want to start a new company. I'm going to choose 12 people and we're going to like take over the world. What? That doesn't happen every day. But it did with Jesus. And these 12 people were uneducated fishermen. Now, you know that story. What about Paul? Paul, who was Saul, the ex-terrorist, murdering people. That guy who was killing folks, his life is so transformed that he wrote 60% of the New Testament. Theology that we live into today and, and, and the church that we see and the early church, pockets of, of God's movement happening all over the Roman Empire. When Christianity first started, it was just a small sect of Jewish people who had gone crazy. They thought they were a cult. They're not Jewish, they're not something, there's something else, we don't know what to call them, we'll call them Christians, is how it happened in Antioch. That movement by the fourth century, taken over the Roman Empire, and now has outlived it. We live as part of that heritage today. In the kingdom of God, things that are small have the power and potential to become very, very big. Very big.
All right, so if this is true in Scripture, well, how do we live this uh, in our own lives? How do we experience this change of perspective? I'm going to have three suggestions from you, for you, and then we'll be done. The first one is really simple. The first one is this. Change the way you see yourself. How do you view yourself? Are there parts of you in your life that are mustard seeds? Parts of your personality or being or identity that you view as small or weak? Maybe useless? Things that have held you down? Maybe those things are the things that have the power and potential to become very, very big. You see, the truth is, it's, not, it's, it's, it's really, really hard, I think, to see yourself honestly. And we've sang it over and over again this morning, and so I'm not going to, to run it more into the ground, but you are a child of God, created in God's image with incredible potential. And those things which you think are small, or God may think is, or others may think is small, God thinks is actually really, really big. Now, sometimes, because of our own sins or the sins of others, could lead to some very, very, very dark places. There's some of you who know that journey. I've been in that journey myself. And we have to remind ourselves that sometimes all it takes is a mustard seed bringing it to God. What are the ways that God wants to restore your vision of yourself this morning? The small areas that you think that don't have very much value. The second way I think that God speaks to us in this is that he wants us to change the way you see others. Change the way you see others. Is your vision unbalanced like the world's? Do you place value or judgment on people without even knowing it? Change your vision, your sight, and and see the way that Jesus sees. See the mustard seed that exists in people, the small characteristics of potential within each person. You know, when I talk about Jeffrey being a small little Asian boy, I'm not joking. I was a small little Asian boy myself. Um, Nine, 10, 11 years old were really formative years for me. I felt a call to ministry when I was 11. I preached my first sermon when I was 13. Uh, I had practiced and it was 30 minutes long and then um, when I got on stage my knees were shaking and I was done in six minutes. <laughs> so I just made up the rest. I just, just winged it. We were in a Pentecostal church and you know you feel the anointing and you just go. So I just, it was really bad. It was really, really bad. But you know at that church, Abundant Life Church of God was the name of the church, I had people who spoke into my life. There was one woman in particular, her name was Sister Ruby. She's a Uh, an African-American woman, and she would say, I just believe that God has his hand on your life. It wasn't because I did anything particular. She would tell me that every Sunday, every single Sunday, God is something unique. She was the harshest critic after every one of my sermons. She would come and say, you know, I like that point, young man, but that other point there, you need to check your theology on that. And she walked with me for years and years and years. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her recognizing the mustard seed in me. It's really easy to do that, see? All you have to do is see someone else and say, I see in you this. Let's just say that together, these words, I see in you. I see in you. What would your life look like if you went around saying to people, I see in you goodness. I see in you kindness. I see in you the willingness to work hard even though your grades aren't so good right now. I see in you the willingness to try even though you don't understand. I see in you passion for this thing that I don't really get, but I'm going to support you. See, if we change the way that we see others, we can allow those mustard seeds to become something very, very big and beautiful. The third thing that I think that applies to us is that we can change the way that we see our world. 
This world is a very, very broken place, but I really believe those words that I told my daughter, that it's a beautiful place because this is my father's world. And I believe that God's kingdom is breaking through everywhere. So what are the mustard seeds that we see all around us here in our city, in our community? What are the ways that God is moving in small ways that can break forth his kingdom in deeper and true ways? I feel like sometimes when it comes to the work of God or making a difference in the lives of people, we all think that it has to be so ginormous. We have to do something so huge, right? Um, how many of you heard of a nonprofit called Back on My Feet? Anyone? All right, I'm going to tell you about this. So Back on My Feet is a nonprofit that started in Philadelphia in, in June of 2007, and it was started by this woman named Ann Malam. And uh, she was basically a runner, you know, young professional running in the city. And she would do this, I don't know, two mile, three mile, whatever runners do. I'm not a runner, so I can't say that. But she would do this lap over and over again. And she noticed that during this morning run, there was a group of homeless men who kind of say hello and call out to her every time she ran. And being a young, attractive young woman, you know, she had, what do you do, right? You just keep running. So that's what she did. I'm in Philly. Guys, homeless guys, talk to me. I'm going to keep running. So she keeps running, she keeps running, she keeps running. But at 5 a.m. in June of 2007, she decided to say hello. It was it, just to say hi. And eventually, she built a relationship with these men because they reminded her of her dad, okay? Simple as that. And she saw them every day as she ran. Well, she had this kind of very simple and small idea where she said, what if I invite these men to run with me? I see them every day. They're there anyway. Why don't I invite them to run? And so she contacted Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission, which is a homeless shelter there um, where these men were living, and she asked the director if she could invite them on runs. And he said yes. And the first run took place on Wednesday, July 3rd in 2007 with nine people from the age of 28 to 57 who are all hoping to move forward in life physically, emotionally, and spiritually through running. Now listen, as of March 2016, this is two years ago, Back on My Feet has chapters in 11 U.S. cities with a 12th launching in San Francisco. It's, it's privately funded and its operating budget is $6.5 million. Really, really simple. What Anne did was invite someone to run with her and it started a movement in that city that is across 12 cities in America. If you go online and you look at their stories, it's incredible what running did for these people. It showed them that they didn't have to be where they were. They could get up and move forward one step at a time. There was a community, a kinship. There was an application, I guess you could say, where Anne said, I see in you the potential to not have to be this way. Now, does that solve the problem for every person? No, of course not. But it is one small way. A lot of times we think that it takes huge things to make a difference in the kingdom of God, but the reality is it just takes small things that God can make into very, very big things. So what are the ways that God is calling you to act in your community or in your city? Is it a gathering? Um, a time of coffee in the morning with your coworkers, or a Google Hangout with some people in the church where you pray for each other? Is it a desire to do something together, like have a potluck from your cul-de-sac once a month? What is it that to you might seem very, very small, but God could use to be a tremendous blessing for folks? I think that when we think about our individual lives, you know, changing the way that we see ourselves and the way we see others and the way we see the world is, is helpful. But for me... I want to think about a bit um, 
about how we think about the church. And this is what I'll say really quickly. One of the things that I've heard about PLCC sometimes I hear, I hear positive things, negative things, mix of stuff. But I feel like sometimes we have an inferiority complex. Sometimes it's uh, because we compare ourselves to other churches that are larger, you know, like Overlake and Timberlake and, oh my God, he said the names of the churches. Yes. <laughs> we all know them. We all know them. They're big. Church home, which was City Church. So there's this kind of, we're smaller than them. We really are. And we're not, we're not really growing bigger. We're just kind of small. And then there's this like thing that comes from our past because Pine Lake, what, 10 years ago or so was a thousand people across these services. Some of you remember that golden age where I hear the stories of we had to like shuttle for parking and there was no space and you had to come and, you know, we're 250 across two services now, you know, sometimes barely that if. What's unbelievable to me is what if we, instead of thinking about what we aren't, what if we just said, God, could we be a mustard seed in the city of Sammamish? Could 250 people, 200 people, just make a difference in the faithfulness of the call? I sincerely believe that if we took that perspective in our lives and as a church, God could take something very small and make it very, very big. Now, I'm not talking about numbers. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see numbers, but I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about restored families, saved lives, healed relationships, I'm talking about us experiencing the fullness of life and the kingdom of God. There's this book that I've been reading, which talks a lot about vision and hope. And uh, one of the things that it says is, you know, you need to make your vision larger. And so as I prayed for Pine Lake Covenant Church, as I prayed for us, I was like, okay, I'm going to make my vision large. And so I was like, okay, we have 250 people. If we times it by 10, we have 500 people. Okay, I feel good about that. We'll pray for 500, that our ministry would bring life to 500 people, okay? I, actually, my math was wrong. It was times by two. Thank you. <laughs> Not all Asians are good at math. You have witnessed it firsthand. Firsthand. I have failed my people. So sad. <laughs> so 500 was my number, okay? And this book, as I continue reading, said, your vision is still too small. Times it by 10. So I have a post-it that says 5,000. And that's what I pray for, that our ministry, what we do as a community, the life we have here would reach 5,000 people in our city and in the surrounding areas. Maybe we can't do that, but I really believe God can. To close, I want to watch one more clip from AGT together. Um, This clip, I don't know, is one of my absolute favorites, and uh, it kind of brings together a lot of things. In some ways, I think it's kind of like a parable. I want you to listen to the words of her song. I want you to listen to kind of her story. It's a young woman named Mandy Harvey. And then uh, we'll close. So let's watch this. Hello. Hi, how are you? And what's your name? Uh, Mandy Harvey. And who's this? My interpreter. What's your name? Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Nice to meet you, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Doing well, thank you. Hello. Okay, Mandy, so I think I've worked this out. So you're deaf? Yes, I, I lost all my hearing when I was 18 years old. Wow, and how old are you now? Uh, 29, so it's 10 years. Wow. And Mandy, how did you lose your hearing, if you don't mind me asking? I 
have a connective tissue disorder, so basically I got sick and my nerves deteriorated. So you were singing before you lost your hearing? Yeah, I've been singing since I was four. So I, I left music after I lost my hearing and then uh, figured out how to get back into singing with muscle memory, using visual tuners, and trusting my pitch. So your shoes are off because you're feeling the vibration. Is that how you're following the music? Yeah, I'm feeling the tempo, the, the beat, uh, through the floor. And Mandy, what are you going to sing? I'm going to uh, sing a song that I wrote called Try. Okay, can you tell me what it's about? After I lost my hearing, I gave up. But I want to do more with my life than just give up. So. Good for you. Okay, well, look, this is your moment, and good luck. Uh, okay. translated for this.
This morning, I think the invitation that I'd like for you to hear, what would your life look like if you just tried? Just a mustard seed. Because in the kingdom of God, things that are very small have the power and potential to become very, very big. So I encourage you to offer your lives and your acts of kindness, your words, whatever it is, that small thing to God, plant it in faith and watch him make it explode. Pray with me this morning. God, I'm so grateful for this time that we've had together around your word. I'm so grateful for this opportunity that we've had to worship together as a community. I pray for every life here, for every story here. God, for every person that may have wanted to give up, for every situation where they felt like they didn't have enough or was told that they weren't enough. Lord, that smallness can be so destructive when it's placed on us. Reframe our sight. Help us to see that you can take mustard seeds and make them into trees that give life to other things. Incredible life. I pray for faith to arise. I pray that this word has gone into good soil. Bring fruit as only you do in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.